Welcome to Canine Hijinks, the podcast for those who want to explore more ways to have fun with their dogs and perhaps discover the wider world of training and dog sports. It may even convert the casual pet owner into a dog sport enthusiast. Join me, Alyssa Looney. And me, Whitney Taylor, as we share our dog training journeys, as well as resources you can use to enhance your life with your canine friends. Welcome to episode five of Canine Hijinks. We are continuing our conversation this week with Liz Randall, and we're going to focus a little bit more on what to look for if you're trying to find a doggy daycare or a dog boarding as Liz's Dogs Abound does all of those things in addition to their training. So it'll be a great conversation again. And before we get started... Whitney, what did you do with your dogs? Um, it was a little less of an exciting time for me. So Fractal's been battling a foot injury. So right now we've been focused on fitness stuff, which is very, very important. But maybe Fractal doesn't think is as exciting as some of the <laughs> other stuff that we do. So yeah, we've been focused on fitness. Alyssa, what about you? Well, I taught the puppy how to go through a tunnel this week and have been working on different uh, entrances and having her stay before I send her into the tunnel. It's very fun and feels a little more like real agility, which is always exciting. Always a fun step. You see those little light bulbs of, of hunger for action come on in their in their little brains. Yes, she likes action. Liz, did you teach your dogs anything interesting this week? No, not really. I did. Uh, I also have my, my middle child. She's got some kind of mild injury stuff going on. So I'm trying to keep her resting, which she's not very thrilled about. And um, I'm not very good at. And then uh, my young dog, uh, I, I kind of needed to get, get off my butt and get back into doing something. So we're actually in a nov local novice uh, class and it was our second week today. So it's actually been really fun just to get back out there and have someone else setting the courses and doing all the hard work for me and me just showing up. <laughs> that <laughs> so does sound fun. nice. We do get to start yeah. back to our agility class for the first time since November. So uh, our puppies go back this week and then our, uh, well, my adult dog anyway, will go back next week. So I'm excited nice. for that. So let's dive in as people transition back to working at their offices sometime when COVID calms down, hopefully soon. We anticipate that some dogs will have trouble with that transition, and there are a few things owners can do to try to help their dogs, and one of those might be to utilize doggy daycare. So can you talk a little more about what doggy daycare looks like and how it might help dogs? Yeah, so there's actually a really kind of similar to training. Uh, there's a very wide range of what a dog daycare would look like. Um, a lot of that has to do with um, your geographic kind of location and setup. Um, in more rural areas, those sorts of daycares are likely going to be larger and they may have some really neat outdoor spaces. Um, I'm very jealous of those sorts of scenarios as someone who's kind of in suburbia slash urban, um, more settings. Um, you know, our situation is mostly indoors. We do have a small outdoor space, but, um, it's kind of indoor outdoor. Uh, so that definitely affects the environment itself, obviously. And then, 
you know, there's a really wide range of experience with people who actually start dog daycares. So I encourage people to, when they're shopping around, to really ask a lot of questions and everyone's going to have a different comfort level with what, you know, their needs are and their dog's needs are, but um, don't be afraid to shop around and, you know, ensure that whichever daycares that you're, you're interviewing, um, you know, answer the questions that you need to be, have answered. So, um, yeah, uh, and a good, a well-run daycare, I'll be honest, it's not necessarily always easy to find. So again, don't be afraid to ask a lot of questions. Um, you definitely want to make sure that these people are qualified and experienced and that they're running as best they can a low stress environment for your dog. Because if at the end of the day, you send your dog off to dog daycare and it's a stressful um, event, then, you know, you may have a tired dog when they get home, but that isn't necessarily always a good thing. It depends on what kind of tired they are. Yeah. I went, before I moved out to the country and had more space, I, and especially when I still had my Vislas, I used to use daycare more often, but I tried to take my border collie there only twice. The first time he went and I didn't know any better. And the second time he literally wouldn't walk through the doors and other dogs would race to the front doors. He would not. And I ended up just not leaving him there because he clearly didn't enjoy the, the experience. So I think it's probably pretty important to listen to your dogs. If if they're refusing to go in, there might be a good reason why, I assume. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I'll be, it's funny. I'm going to sound funny as someone who owns a dog daycare. Um, they can be extremely challenging environments, extremely challenging. And the actual dog that's over, let's say five or six months old, uh, who really truly enjoys daycare that, you know, like walking into a daycare for the first time at nine months old or 12 months old or 18 months old, the dog that can just waltz into a daycare for the first time and fit in seamlessly is going to be in the vast, vast, vast minority. Um, You know, to set dogs up successfully for daycare, they typically need to start quite early um, and get acclimated to that specific environment. And hopefully it's a well-run daycare that has regular clientele and kind of regular dogs that are attending, um, and routines and schedules and giving the dogs breaks and naps and that are pretty educated in behavior so they can really manage those environments well. Um, unfortunately I will say that's probably not the norm, (laughs) but, um, they're out there. And, and one little just kind of tip is, um, people in the daycare industry uh, who are kind of moving beyond the initial chuck them all into a room and let them have at it model. We don't, you know, most, a lot of us don't really do that anymore. And we're kind of, it's kind of called daycare 2.0 <laughs> as things evolve and get a little bit more, you know, behaviorally savvy and, and, and focusing more on um, the, the individual dog's wellness. Um, a lot of us are calling it daycare 2.0. So you can kind of like test the waters a little bit, <laughs> you know, and say, hey, have you heard about this daycare 2.0 thing? And, you know, not, that's not a guarantee, but you might, you might throw that at the wall and see if it sticks. <laughs> it might give you some information <laughs> or might not. I, I think you make some very good points. So not all dogs are well suited for daycare. In fact, the vast majority of dogs really aren't. It's a tough environment. Yeah. I, 
I have only once tried to take a dog to daycare. I was shifting from working um, in a retail environment to an office environment, and I felt very badly that my six-year-old cattle dog was suddenly going to be home alone all day, whereas Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I worked sort of evenings or whatever, someone was usually home part of the time that I was gone. And I took her to the doggy daycare and they did a um, like interview kind of assessment. And they were like, yeah, she's not a good candidate. She'd rather stay at home on the couch in a quiet environment, (laughs) you know, and good for them for turning me away. Yeah, that's good. They were honest. Yeah, she, She wouldn't have enjoyed it. She was older at that point and just was like no no thank you I don't I don't want to do this so I think that that's something that's as much as we want to make sure we're giving our dogs enriching experiences and that they're not you know so bored at the end of the day that they're being creative in the ways that they're entertaining themselves (laughs) that there's also the they need to enjoy the experience and not find it so stressful that you're sort of you're not doing you're doing more harm than good is the yeah the thing that we yeah. should all be looking yeah. to avoid and that's a conversation I end up having with quite a few clients um whether we evaluate the dog and the dog you know quote unquote fails immediately or we even do have scenarios where the dog comes here for a period of time even maybe from the time they're a puppy and eventually we call you know they age out and they just aren't enjoying it anymore and a lot of people get really offended and upset by that um, and I always tell them, it's, this doesn't mean your dog's a bad dog. It actually means your dog is very normal. There's kind of this weird cultural meme, and I don't know where it came from, but, you know, that every dog must love other dogs in order to be labeled a good dog. You know, that's not necessarily the case. And what we've actually found in our daycare 2.0 slash going on 3.0 evolution is that dogs tend to be much happier in one-on-one or maybe occasionally one on like two, but very small groups. And so we run our groups very, very small. I would say on average, we have four to six dogs per group and we end up rotating dogs. I don't know kind of how we evolved into this hundred dogs in one big room scenario, other than somebody just figured out how to make a bunch of money. It's not healthy it's not emotionally healthy for a dog. Um, you know, no dog would choose to be in an enclosed environment with 199 other dogs. It didn't know. Right. Yeah. Um, that's Nor not natural. Would <laughs> Nor would people. And I was telling people <laughs> that too. Like, and here's the other thing too, is for the, like the dogs that age out, I'm sounding like very negative, you know, about daycare in general. I do own a dog daycare and I do think it can be done well. <laughs> I tell people that all the time as, you know, when we're young, you know, think about when you're in junior high and high school, like socializing is everything. And it's so important to hang out with your friends and go to parties and do all these things. But then you go to, and then you go to college, right? And that's kind of the peak of our social existence. And then we go into our twenties and we're still pretty social, but then we start kind of most of us, not all of us, but most of us kind of start leveling out. And then even like, kind of falling off in the amount of socialization that we that we want to do as humans and dogs really aren't any different. There are a few party animals out there who still want to, you know, go to the bars every night and hang out when they're, you know, in their 40s or 50s, but most of us kind of get over it. And so it's not unusual for dogs to not love that environment whether they've been brought up in it or whether they haven't. It's not abnormal. It's actually completely normal for dogs to either 
want to kind of just hang with their people or, you know, they have a couple select friends either at home or that they've grown up with, you know, neighborhood dogs or friends, dogs that they've known through training or whatnot. And those are those social friends. And that's super, super normal. Oh, we, we um, joke all the time that, um, my dogs put up with way more crap from Melissa's dogs than they would put up with from any other dogs that they know. Oh, I don't doubt that for a minute. Yeah. They know them. Right. And Fractal allows Jet to like bark at his neck and do all kinds of weird stuff that if it were a strange dog, he would be like, get the heck away yeah. from me but he's like yeah oh it's just jet it's fine yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know they're part of each other's kind of extended family they're yeah. familiar with each other they've spent time together and it's it's they know what to expect right as whereas you know throwing them into an environment with different dogs new dogs every single time that can be really stressful so to circle back to the positives about dog daycare look for a dog daycare that has really small groups that has some sort of background in training or behavior. And by that, I I strongly, strongly prefer positive reinforcement type training programs, especially in the dog daycare context, because people are going to be looking at the dog's behavior from a more analytical perspective and observational perspective, as opposed to, oh, well, that guy's being dominant, like, and punishing those sorts of behaviors. And that's another way that daycare could potentially be stressful is if the people managing the groups are using punishment. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely something I would be asking if you're interviewing potential dog daycares is what, kind of like I said last time with the training, you know, what happens if my dog does something wrong? What is the order of operations here if he's displaying behavior that's not appropriate? Well, and what do you think is an incorrect behavior? Yeah, that's a great question, Whitney. Like, absolutely. Because there are certain things that, you know, I look at now that I wouldn't have five or 10 years ago. And I'm like, you are the dog being a jerk. You're the aggressor. My yes. dog has the right to say back off. So Sprite's yes. thing is in the morning, she gets up on the couch and she stares at Fractal and he hates it. All she has to do is look away. That's all he wants her to do. If she looks away, yeah. he's fine, but she's being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it's very, and very so- subtle. But yeah, that's exactly. And you want to know that the people managing groups of dogs are going to see that kind of stuff and that they're, you know, we see that all the time. Maybe there's like an adolescent and he's being a punk and he's, you know, pushing somebody else's buttons. And if he gets corrected by dog B, you know, the average response would be for the the human to go in there and and, and the human to correct dog B mm-hmm. while dog B was just saying, hey, jerk, back off, right? Yes. And so dog A should really be the one that gets removed because he's the one being a punk and dog B is just communicating him to him to back off. And that's not wrong. Now you have to look at the level of the correction, you know, by dog B, et cetera, et cetera. However, you know, these are subtleties and, and you want to make sure that the people managing these groups of dogs that don't live in the same household that may or may not have ever met each other before have the ability to see those interactions and assess them appropriately. And um, again, it it takes a certain level of training and behavioral understanding to be able to do that successfully. Mm -hmm. To sum up kind of which dogs should be at daycare and which shouldn't Mm -hmm. be, I think we've talked quite a bit about the ones that maybe shouldn't be, but can you describe who is a good fit for daycare? Yeah. So the, I'm glad you asked that because there are, there are dogs. Uh, The, the ideal candidate for dog daycare in all honesty is going to be quite young Um, dogs between say 12 and in a perfect world, they're going to start between maybe 12 and 20 weeks of age. 
you know, they're going to get tons of, again, in a well-run daycare, they're going to get tons of exposure to not just other dogs, but I always tell the clients they're going to get exposure to, you know, different staff. They're going to get exposure to male staff, to female staff. They're going to get exposure to what I like to call a controlled chaos environment, right? There's bowls being dropped and doors being slammed and gates being slammed and radios being, you know, it's, it's just a different environment than at home. So um, those young dogs are our best case scenario when they come early and come early and come often that allows them not just to get good socialization on their end, but selfishly from our end. Uh, we love those dogs because they're easy to, they're easy to onboard. Um, they get on the program quickly because they're malleable as young puppies. And then they become our really steady eddy for the most part, easy uh, daycare dogs that then allow us to do a better job of integrating new dogs down the line. Like I said earlier, you there are those unicorn type dogs that may waltz in here that are, you know, one year old or two years old that really haven't ever done daycare before, but that can just meander on in here and do well. Um, but they're kind of the exception, not the rule. I would be curious about Sprite. She's the most outgoing dog I have ever had. And I have never had a dog who so desperately just wants to socialize with other dogs, right? It, mm-hmm. It's really, mm-hmm. it's very interesting to me just from a behavior perspective. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Yeah, it really depends. And I'll be honest, it's it's fairly breed specific. We <laughs> we don't have that many herding breeds. The Aussies tend to do the best longer term. Border collies, including my own, tend to either self-select out or fail out. Um, German Shepherds, the herding breeds, really have a hard time in daycare. Yeah, doesn't surprise uh, me. Usually, yeah, they they want to control everything and tell everybody <laughs> what to do. And even if they're being nice about it, it may not play well with the other dogs. Yeah. So, uh, my so guess definitely breed a, specific. Yeah, my guess is that when Jet went, he, he tends to be the fun police. You know, if people get too yeah out of control then he's got to start controlling things and so my guess is he probably got in trouble a lot for that and and didn't really appreciate it and it was too chaotic for him it makes a lot of sense one other funny little note that i feel like i can say on this podcast is i i find it really fascinating that dogs who have had a lot of training and who have really close bonds with their owners um tend to after a fairly young age not enjoy daycare and they tend to seek they they want their person or they want people and they want interaction with people whereas dogs that I think live a slightly less um, mentally enriched existence tend to seek out the other dogs more and want to socialize more with other dogs Um, it's really fascinating to me it's kind of um, un un research theory that I have no data there but um well if your reinforcement history comes from people and from you've the done human a lot yeah of training versus exactly where you get your reinforcement and fun is from exactly other dogs and not so much from yep. people so I think that tracks Liz I, I don't think that's yeah. that far out <laughs> yeah it seems yeah. reasonable yeah. to me my Tilly would love to go to daycare yes all the dogs all, all the, the dogs, dogs. Yeah. all the time The next thing that I think we should touch on a little bit is um, sort of daycare versus boarding. So are there differences Mm -hmm. in what you would look for in a boarding facility versus a daycare? Do they tend to be one in the same or do they tend to be separate facilities? That's a good question. I 
I think they used to be, well, you know, years ago there were boarding facilities and way before we even had daycare, right? And there's still some, in certain parts of the country, there's still some of those facilities around where they're just kind of kennel runs and, you know, you pay 40 bucks and the dog sits in the kennel for the whole day and the whole night and somebody maybe lets them out at some point and hoses down the kennel. You know, that's like the old school, but those are still around. And then again, I do think it's kind of geographic specific, you know, a boarding facility in New York City is probably also going to be a daycare facility as opposed to maybe one that's in a more rural type setting. So um, it really depends. But um, the most important thing that I would say if you're just looking to board your dogs is not just to call the week before and say, I need to park my dog somewhere. And now emergencies are emergencies. And I understand that. But if you have, well, and even then I I would highly encourage people to plan ahead and get your dogs acclimated to a facility um, as best you can before you have an emergency. And that way, you know, especially when emergencies happen, or even we've had, you know, when babies are born or things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, everything devolves into chaos and the dog just gets chucked in the car and dropped off somewhere they've never been before. It's not very fun for the dog, certainly. And frankly, from, again, from our end, it's not very fun for us either because the stressier the dog makes the other dog stressed, it stresses us out. We don't like them to be stressed. So, you know, planning ahead and having a, a facility kind of on deck for boarding and letting your dog, if hopefully they do daycare and if they can go to daycare there once a month or once every, you know, once a while, in a while or at least, you know, ramping up to a longer boarding stay. Um, that way you're at least acclimating the dog and you're not kind of yanking the rug out from under them. Oh, I know what I was gonna say, we do have um, boarding, uh, main, we have mostly daycare and training clients, but I do, I have maybe 10 to 15 kind of long-term clients that only do boarding, but they obviously with COVID things are a little different, but um, that really have only brought their dogs for boarding, but they've come consistently enough that the dogs are comfortable here. And and I do really enjoy those clients that are consistent. Um, it's the ones that are kind of the one-offs, you know, once, once a year, they, you know, he needs to come for Thanksgiving night once a year. Those are tough. I, I would encourage people to kind of try to build a relationship with your boarding facility because a it's going to make your dog more comfortable and happier and b it's going to make the facility owners and and management happier that you know you're not just a fly by night and you're those dedicated clients and dogs just make it so much easier i never thought about ramping them up i um before i had as many dogs as i do now (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and only had a couple of them there were times that i boarded tug and daisy and even Lincoln a little bit, Tug would always come back so skinny. He never ate while he was there. Oh, yeah. and I think they usually kept him in the same kennel, but didn't watch him while they were eating. So then one of them would come back fat and the other one could come back skinny. Oh, no. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I only did that a couple of times before I couldn't do it anymore. And I now have house sitters. And Tug, of course, was extra sensitive, but I'd never thought about having him go there for daycare a few times before mm-hmm. boarding and at that facility it would have been an option and and it was a great boarding facility I think it was just hard for tug but yeah. might have been easier if I'd taken him for some day yeah day. and that's actually one little other tip I would say too um I'm sure some people would disagree with me here but I to me it's a little bit of a red flag if they're not separating dogs for eating meals even dogs of the same family now to be fair it's possible that they were trying to get Tug to eat by having Daisy in there with him. But, you know, it's, again, it kind of goes back to the behavior knowledge and, and just kind of 
general savvy, um, dogs should be eating separately because we, you know, you don't know in a stressful environment that they might, someone might guard their food or, you know, it's just from a safety perspective. I, I, I that's kind of a question I would be asking a facility mm. if I was interviewing, how are, are the dogs being separated while eating? Yeah. Hmm. See, didn't think of that one either. So are there other are there other ways or points where folks should advocate for their dog or if they from sort of a daycare or boarding perspective like what information can people provide that's actually helpful about a dog how should how can they ensure that their dog has a good experience sort of upon drop off aside from some of the ramping mm-hmm. up and other stuff Yeah aside from that I would say honestly the the most important thing, the the biggest thing that you can do for, to make sure that your dog is successful and the facility is successful taking care of your dog is be honest. If your dog has a history of trying to escape, or if your dog has a history of, you know, snapping at people, or if your dog has a history of resource guarding. And again, I think people don't tell you these things because they're embarrassed, but all of that stuff is, you know, if we want to label it desirable or undesirable, whatever, it's all dog behavior. And trust me, if, if, unless it's somebody that started their business three months ago, <laughs> you know, we've seen it, we've seen it all. So, so don't withhold information because if you give that information upfront, either the facility is going to tell you, oh, well, maybe we're not the best fit for your dog and don't take that personally. That's probably a good thing. Or they'll say, hey, thanks for telling us that. We'll make sure that, you know, we take Fluffy out of the kennel before we reach in for his food bowl. Or, you know, we'll make sure that we put him in a bigger kennel so that he has more room to move around and we don't have to reach in and grab, you know, it's be full disclosure is always appreciated. Um, It's way better. I'd rather somebody give me too much info than no info. And then we find out the heart. Now we're good at assessing, assessing and evaluating. And we see a lot of things that people don't tell us regardless, but from a ethical standpoint and a best, best practices standpoint, it's always helpful to give information, especially if it has to do with some, you know, behaviors that may literally bite someone, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in the, in the ass. I kind of hadn't thought of the escape behavior thing I I worked retail at a pet store and there were two times that are seared into my mind one a dog escaped mm-hmm. grooming and I tackled mm-hmm. the dog in the vestibule and got bit in the face um oh my goodness but yeah but the dog didn't escape like that was my biggest concern is that this dog is yeah. gonna run out oh, yeah. into the parking lot and the other time yeah we were trying harnesses on a recently adopted dog and it just bolted and I tackled that dog in the parking lot. So um, oh <laughs> yeah, if that, the escape stuff, honestly, you guys, I would rather take a human aggressive dog or a dog aggressive. Like there's so many challenging behaviors that I'd rather handle over a dog that's going to flee. A dog that is going to mm-hmm. flee is it's terrifying. The, the worst. This oh. It's terrifying and once it happens like it like you said it's seared into your memory and you will never you'll never recover from that so if you have that dog um make sure you are very very upfront about that with with the the caretakers yep so we ended up talking about some some signs I should have known about with tug how could I have followed up with that kennel afterwards and if he was getting so thin 
I just attributed mm -hmm. it to stress and he was a weird dog, right? I, yeah. I didn't really think that much of it, but I probably should have. And this was, of course, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, what should I have done? That's a great question. I would say, you know, circle back with the provider and say, you know, I noticed he's a little skinny. Um, can you tell me? And again, a good kennel or daycare or what have you should tell you on exit, like, oh, hey, you know, what we'll do is we'll say, you know, he really didn't eat very well. We did the best we could. And again, you know, on the front end, if if you've had that experience before, you could say, hey, I brought some extra things for him to, you know, some chicken or some additives, or, you know, if you got, you could also give the kennel, you know, just allow them to add things, you know, we will, we will always ask about allergies and things like that on the front end. And if a dog's not eating, we'll, you know, add some broth or add some chicken or add some Parmesan. So, you know, we will try to do that, but, you know, you kind of have to work, work with them. And I think it's always important to, as long as you feel like everybody's, you know, trying their best and, and no one's being negligent, you know, just having those conversations and saying, Hey, you know, what can we do next time to see if, you know, what can I bring for next time to see if we can get them to eat better? You know, having a, I think the, the, the chief takeaway would be have a conversation and, you know, don't be accusatory or angry or, or what have you, again, assuming everyone's doing their, their best and, and you, it's clear that they are. And I think just having open lines of communication is pretty critical. Yeah. I know my dad used to board his first carry blue terrier and he was really notorious about not eating for a couple of days when something yeah. new happened. And he just always told them, right? He's probably not going to eat yeah, for the first day exactly. or so. That wouldn't concern me if it's been a couple days, you know, then I'm yeah. concerned. And you know, we'd pick him up and they'd be like, you're right. It was about three meals before he ate anything. And then he was yeah. fine kind of a thing. And that's super helpful, right? Like coming in like, hey, here's my guy. He's got these challenges. And that way, at least we're prepared to deal with it, right? And, and, but, and that said, if you're, if the dog hasn't eaten in, let's say four or five days and we've tried all of our tricks and we can't get it to happen, I'm going to get on the phone with the owner, assuming they're not in Timbuktu or so, you know, if I can, I'm going to reach out to them and try to say, Hey, you know, here's what's going on. What would you like me to do? Can I go buy him a steak? Do you want me to do this? And that. so at least again, from my end, I'm doing my best to to, to help the dog and do everything in my power to get them to eat. So we've been talking quite a bit about, you know, sort of nervous dogs and that. Um, how about what is separation anxiety? I feel like that's something that comes up more and more. And I think it's something that maybe is on people's minds, too, as they're going back to the office. So what is it? How do they know if that's what their dog actually has going on with them? Is this something that can be dealt with at daycare or boarding? Sort of what should people know about separation anxiety? So separation anxiety is complicated. And separation anxiety is a kind of a blanket term for a, a few similar, or not a few, there's probably more than a few, but a range of, of similar behaviors uh, that kind of fall under that, under that umbrella of separation anxiety. So and I am not a separation anxiety expert. It's actually kind of funny that um, we train all sorts of 
severe behavioral problems here. And we do refer out specific separation anxiety cases because it is such a specialized field. And there's a lot that goes into really working with true, true separation anxiety. But some things for people to know is always, you know, instead of just saying my dog has separation anxiety, well, there's, there's different things that kind of, kind of fall under that. Is your dog anxious when you specific human Sally Smith separate from the dog and Bob Smith could be sitting there and the dog is, is panicking because Sally has left. That's kind of an attachment to a specific person. Is the dog fine with any sort of other warm body in the vicinity, right? Some dogs are like that. They just don't want to be left alone. So we call that isolation distress. There's dogs that have confinement specific distress, They may panic if they're left alone in a a crate, but they may not panic if left alone loose in the house. So, and then, so those are kind of just some general forms of what we would call separation anxiety, right? I think I kind of touched on most of the major ones. And then, and I think a lot of that is genetically predisposed and then the environment kind of either exacerbates it or may minimize it depending on, on the specific um, home life and, and, what's happening in that home and to that dog and, and whether or not those dogs, that dog's needs are being met. I also see, I feel like more and more, and now, especially with COVID from a general sense, yes, there is an issue with separation anxiety because people are not leaving their dogs ever. And at some point we are going to be going back to work. We are going to be going back to school. We are going to be going back to actually getting to go out and have dinner with our friends, which I am so excited about. And I hope that happens <laughs> yes, someday. <laughs> That's like the one thing that I want. But if we, you know, and so people are getting puppies and then the puppy is never left. And this has been happening since the beginning of time, but for different reasons, you know, I'm, I'm telling people make an effort to separate your dog from you physically, whether that is ideally the dog has already had some crate training and you can put the dog in a crate with a chew for a half an hour or an hour while you go do laundry or do some yard work or go to the post office or whatever it is and just start setting that precedent that you're fine. We're all fine. Everybody's fine. And I am going to leave you for short periods of time because if we don't do that and then all of a sudden, again, thing the way the rollouts are happening, who knows what's going to happen, but it seems kind of gradual, but you know, I, I see, I would see this happen a lot when people get a puppy in the summertime and then everybody would go back to school in September and go back to mm. work and then bye puppy, you know, see you in eight <laughs> hours, even though this has never happened before, you know, so, so be cognizant and, and make an effort to, even if you're not leaving the house, create the dog in the bedroom and go do housework for 45 minutes, you know, and again, give the dog a chew, give the dog, make sure the dog has, has had a training session beforehand or a really nice walk beforehand, you know, arrange the environment beforehand to make sure that dog is going to be more likely to be successful. But yeah, you got to do it because at some point these dogs need to be left alone. And we even find in daycare, even in the daycare environment, we'll get dogs in here and you know, we do nap times here, or we may be acclimating the dog to a room and the dogs in the room by themselves. And we just have to step out for a minute. And some of it may be exacerbated by it being a new environment, but the dog just loses their, you know what, 
And you're like, God, has this dog ever been walked away from? <laughs> like, so it's something to be aware of. And some dogs are going it's to be more so genetically because disposed. it's not something you think about. You just don't think about to, it to do, or you just don't mm-hmm. realize. Like, I've never left this dog. I mean, yeah, I. So we will do dinner at my dad's house, and mm-hmm. he lives fifteen minutes away it's like that's my restaurant that I get to go to is my dad's house yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the first time I left Sprite she was know, already seven months or something like that and yeah. I was like oh, I don't know how this is gonna go and she yeah. did she did fine and the two other dogs yeah. are there it's actually Dexter who gets into things if we leave them out so <laughs> but it was interesting because I realized like I don't think I've I ever thought about it left her and there's almost always someone home at my house so it, yeah it's just very interesting to to think I need to be purposeful about this and put it on a schedule somewhere that at least once a week yeah. I leave the house for 15 minutes and it's just so hard because you're like if I'm going for a walk of course I want to take the dog mm-hmm. yeah well and we're we're extra bad and that the dogs are always you know integrated into our almost all activities so, you know, for, for people that are sport people, you almost have to be even more cognizant of it, I feel like. Yeah, I have been leaving the puppy downstairs. My my dogs have an area downstairs with the doggy door so they can go in and out while we're at work. And so when I'm home up in the office and trying to focus on work, I will leave her down there. And she's gotten to the point where she's not chewing up too many things and that kind of thing. But she's doing fine with that. She, of course, has some doggy friends. I guess that's probably something I haven't been good about is having any one of them be here by themselves ever right they're always yeah either with me in the car in a crate or they're here with multiple other dogs they are almost never by themselves and at home at the vet like that's where the when that one comes back to get you is if you need to leave them at the vet fractal is really bad so i worked across the street from the vet's office, I would drop him off for his comprehensive exam and stuff. And I would tell them, hey, he can be kind of loud. You're welcome to do, you know, whatever. I can come back and get him whenever you need me to. I just have to walk across the street. And lo and behold, they'd call me back in like, you know, 45 minutes. He was done. <laughs> Quick, I tell you. I'm like, well, he, he advocated for himself that he would not there like to go. be there anymore. <laughs> And so on that note, we've kind of gotten into any general advice to help people prepare their dogs for when they go back to work and and what they can do now besides giving them some alone time. I think alone time is key setting up because again, and this has been hard on the human half for sure, like our routines have gotten screwy and we've all kind of slid out of whatever kind of structures and routines we had going a year ago. crazy, huh? So if you're fortunate enough to kind of have a bit of a heads up for if you're going to go back to work or if the kids are going to go back to school and it is going to significantly change the current routine, try to kind of bridge that gap, right? If you can, like, let's say, you know, you're going back to work in a week. What can you do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day? that are going to kind of help ease the dog into whatever scheduled changes might happen when you do go back to work. So that's one thing. The other thing is just making sure all of the dog's needs are getting met, you know, but again, hopefully beforehand, 
Um, and then somehow, I know because magically we all have time to <laughs> do all the things we're obligated to do in the day, but making sure that dog is getting enough mental stimulation, getting training, getting exercise. And so that they're not going bonkers at home while you're not there. You know, again, we've all gotten, the dogs have gotten used to us being around and kind of being able to train them or entertain them mostly on a, you know, on a kind of a randomized schedule. So getting a little more structure around that routine and kind of trying to plan ahead as best you you can for how you're going to keep walking the dog, keep hiking the dog, keep training the dog around your work schedule. Easier said than done, I realize, but Mm -hmm. ideally that's what we do. So what are some of those options for sort of helping keep the dog entertained and happy that maybe some that are obvious sort of like what chew options I guess those are the things Mm -hmm. that I think of um or is is there anything else that folks should think about that dogs can do while you're gone yeah again trying to make sure the dog's exercise needs are getting met outside of you know those when you can obviously um and then sure enrichment games things like that feeding the dog out of food toys everyone has different kind of comfort levels of what they're willing to leave the dog with you know unattended and and I understand that I tend to have things like hard chews around my house uh, I personally gasp I like Nyla bones my dog loves Nyla bones <laughs> they're very controversial feeding the dogs they're all their meals out of food toys um, so at least that's some sort of brain games, uh, maybe before you leave, you know, again, people have different comfort levels. You could leave the dog, assuming they're in a semi-contained area, you could leave them things like paper to shred or whatnot again. And everybody kind of has to measure what they're comfortable with. And some dogs are going to be ingesters of things. And so those dogs you obviously have to be much more careful with than, than ones that aren't, um, prone to doing that. Um, and then, you know, obviously daycare is a thing or, a dog walker, getting someone to come and, and get the dog out for a walk, you know, maybe not ever if it's not every day, once or twice a week, even just to break up that monotony and that routine is good. And fortunately, more and more of us are going to going to be working from home in differing capacities right now than we ever were before. So that's lucky, for, good for our dogs, I think. For sure. I recently amped up my dog nerd scale here and bought a freezer just for dog enrichment toys so mm-hmm. that it can be separate from our regular freezer and um, have been filling them with all kinds of things. And, and I have found for sure one of the times that's really handy is like if I am just getting home and they're amped up and I mm-hmm. need a minute to myself yep. that I can go in there. It's already made. I toss those to the dogs. They're safe to leave. Yeah. They're things like Kongs or, or some yeah. other toy that they're not going to chew up and swallow and and then they're quiet for a few minutes and and exactly. i actually used it yesterday we had a delivery of a peloton speaking of changing lifestyles oh, because of covid <laughs> go to the gym so got a peloton and so when the um folks came to deliver it i put my dogs in their crates and i gave yep. them some food toys and that they parked a little bit but it was far quieter than it would have yeah. been otherwise and then they were happy and not stressing out about the strangers in the house and um, exactly management management handy. can be management. a beautiful thing beautiful thing <laughs> beautiful thing and we will have um coming up some more information about food toys and and how they work and ways we use them and and things like that so keep your eyes out for those things and we do have some links on the website actually to a few of our favorites 
So if you need to know what those are, you can find them there. Any other last thoughts on daycare, boarding, training, any of those things that you think people should know, Liz? Just, you know, kind of like we've talked about over the last two episodes is make sure that don't be afraid to ask questions, right? Don't be afraid to get the information you need to feel comfortable about working with a trainer or working with a daycare um, or other type of facility, because it's got to be a good fit for you. And it's got to be a good fit for your dog. You know, most, most trainers or facilities aren't going to be upset by you asking questions, um, just, you know, in the best interest of your dog. So I think, uh, you have to advocate for your dog and, and, uh, because if they're not happy, then, then we're not, we're not winning. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the goal is, is to, to give your dog as, as positive and stress free an experience as possible. So do your homework. I guess that's, I guess that's my biggest, my, that would be my biggest advice is do your homework, ask other people, ask, your neighbors, ask uh, dog people, you know, around you what experiences they've had. And don't just, don't just go to Dr. Google because we all know where that can get us sometimes. Reviews are good, but um, personal recommendations, I think are always the, the, the best starting point. Totally agree. Well, thank you, Liz, very much for joining us again today. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know we said it last episode, but tell us one more time where people can find you if they're interested in your services. We are to be found at uh, dogsabound.com, D-O-G-S-A-B-O-U-N-D.com. And we are in the San Diego area. We do online training consulting as well. Thank you, COVID and Zoom. And uh, <laughs> it's a whole new world out there. So while world. we are local in San Diego, we can, uh, we're definitely expanding our horizons and can do remote consults and all that kind of good stuff these days. So feel awesome. free to reach out. Before we leave you today, we want to let you know what's coming up next. Alyssa and I are going to be diving into our favorite dog agility. So we will be giving you a more insight into what our journeys have looked like and what it can look like for you if you want to get involved. So join us for that. So that's all for today's episode. Don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast so you can join us for our next episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or by visiting our website at www.caninehijinks.com. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to go out and have some fun with your dogs. Talk to you next time. Awesome. Yes, everybody have a good day. And <laughs> you're going to have to cut that part out. <laughs> um, That's, that was the end. We can stop now. <laughs> that was the end. the end. Go have some fun with your dogs. Ha, 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 ha.